Good morning. So good to see you all. Welcome to everyone in the auditorium and in the venue and those watching online, our online family at carneyefree.com. Thanks for joining us as well today. I tell you what, it's really hard to follow Josh Pierce. I will never make you laugh the way Josh Pierce makes us laugh. He is a hilarious guy and he and Kent Sunberg and Lindsey Denny and so many others do such an amazing job with our eFree Kids team each and every Sunday morning. Appreciate that, that announcement as uh, there is that need well, within our church body to have a few extra hands to help uh, throughout this summer, a couple Sundays each week though, this, this summer can make an impact in kids' lives and really help our church as we get through leaner summer months together. So thank you for your consideration for that. Uh, a good church family includes great kids' ministries, right? Just kind of an absolute minimum standard of great kids' ministries, and we have that here, so thanks, Fa, for your consideration. Hey, it's graduation weekend. We got any high school or college graduates here today? Anyone? Few? You don't need to stand, but I think I see a few. Give it up for these guys. Man. My stomach is filled with cake still from yesterday. Uh, it's been a fun graduation weekend, and uh, so, so thankful for our high school and college graduates, though, this year. We have lots and lots of wonderful college students at Carney Free, amazing high school students as well, and you just think about what they have gone through over the past two and a half years. Like, to get to this point, their last two and a half years of school has been, in many ways, this word has been used way too much, but in many ways, last two and a half years of school for them has been unprecedented, and so for them to get to their graduation uh, last weekend and this weekend and in the weeks to come as they look toward the next chapter of life, we rejoice with you, and we're so grateful for our high school and college graduates. Well, my name is Adrian, and I'm one of the pastors here at Carney E. Free. If we haven't met, love to connect with you after the service, but I wonder if you'd do this with me. Just imagine with me for a moment as we enter back into our canceled How Shame Ruins series. Imagine with me, though, that you're in a courtroom. Have you been there before? Okay, a few of us have been. <laughs> I have. That's another story for another day. Get back to where you're going. Okay. Uh, imagine with me uh, you're in a courtroom, and uh, you're on trial, and you have a jury who's looking over. But there's no presiding judge over your particular trial. Instead, what you have is hundreds of judges spread throughout the room, and they're evaluating your every word, your every movement, your body language, and they are going to cast a judgment on you from hundreds of different eyes. They threaten to cancel you out. You're judged at every turn as you look around. That's kind of the environment that many of us feel like we're living in today. And with the advent of cancel culture, which we've talked about a little bit over these past several weeks, we see it more and more that it seems like everybody has a verdict on our moves. Let me give you a few examples. Ryan Anderson wrote a book a couple years ago that was a very helpful book to, to me. It was called When Harry Became Sally. And it had the audacity to question the current transgender ideology. It's a non-emotional book. It's not a, a lambast or a condemnation of anyone. It's very respectful of everyone. But based on medical research and evidence-based practice, Ryan Anderson 
question some of the things that are happening in the current transgender ideology. And that was his crime, that by itself. You know what his penalty was? Banned by Amazon. His book was banned by Amazon, which effectively bans it, period, because Amazon is that powerful. Now, I don't agree with everything written in the book, but again, it's not an emotional uh, trigger fest on people at all. It provides some good ideas to consider. I don't agree with it all, but I would certainly protect and even fight for Anderson's right to disagree with me and my right to disagree with him, as well as the right of those who would disagree with Anderson or disagree with me to be able to disagree with each other because isn't that what tolerance is, right? Unfortunately, well, we're now at a time that you must agree with everything, and if you don't, you are shamed and canceled and judged at every turn. You will be judged into silence. Let me bring it to a more personal level with a couple different examples. There's a man that I know named Bart who is a very successful business leader, and he's kind of bookish, and he was bookish as a teenage boy. And this was frustrating to his dad because his dad was a hard blue-collar worker with lots of calluses on his hands. And Bart didn't really want anything to do with that. He had other interests. He liked reading, and he became a strong business leader, very, very successful. But his dad was disliking the fact that his son was not becoming like dad. And so during his teenage years, dad started to call Bart a seagull. He'd say, Bart, you're nothing but a seagull. You're good for sitting, squawking, and he would say that. Bart held on to those judgments, that shame, for the next decades. I have a dear friend who came to faith a little bit earlier than me and was a discipler of sorts for me in college. And uh, he's really given his life to Christian ministry. Um, Strong Christian man, wonderful family. He and his wife homeschool their four kids. And... In 2016, he went back and forth on who he should vote for. And he said, I I can't vote for this candidate, and in my conscience, with my values, I can't vote for this candidate. And he decided that there was a third-party candidate that better fit his values and his policies, and he decided to vote for him. I'm not making any judgment on any of that. This is not a political message. Please know that. But I want to tell you what happened to him. In the following six or eight months, his parents learned that he did not vote for their preferred candidate. And they started to shame him. Started to say to him, you're not really a Christian. Started to say to him, you're not really conservative enough. Started to tell him that in no uncertain terms, there was something wrong with him. And it went like this through their family gatherings for about two or three years until it got so, tax, so toxic in all of their family gatherings for this man and his wife and their four kids while he's serving in full-time ministry, it got so toxic in their every visit where they were pigeonholed and forced into a corner that he moved his family across the country. He was canceled by his family. That's kind of negative, Adrian. How about a positive story, okay? Yes, please, we'll do a positive story. 
Justine Shetter over in our storehouse ministry noticed about 18 months ago that there were ladies who sometimes would come into the storehouse to shop for basic goods. Our storehouse reaches out to those who have a little bit less, who are going through a difficult time financially. And uh, she started to notice that some ladies, while we're coming into the storehouse, and uh, they were noticeably not clean. And sometimes they had kids with them who were noticeably not clean. And Justine had the wisdom, along with storehouse advocates, to see that if someone is not able to take a shower, and particularly when they're with their own kids, it can feel very shameful to be in public when you don't have a shower, when you're not clean, right? Anyone else? Okay, I've been there. Okay, it's, it's a shameful experience. And so Justine and her team, along with our uh, work crew here, you know what they did? They built a shower. Built a family bathroom with a shower that anyone who has any need can reserve any time. Look at that beautiful space. Right down the hall here that people can reserve discreetly anytime, and ladies who are living out of their car are currently coming in here and using the shower, getting cleaned up, and kids, welcome to that as well, whether they're storehouse pub participants or not, anyone in this community, because they want to help restore these people's dignity. And because there's this knowledge that if you're not clean in our culture, what's gonna happen to you? You're going to be canceled. You're going to be judged at every turn. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, I'm so grateful for Justine and her team to recognize this need in our culture and say, we're going to stand in the gap to disallow these ladies from being judged at every turn. Let me just review for a moment. Shame is basically this. It's this idea that I am bad. I am the problem and I feel horrible about myself. We've talked about this a number of times over the past four weeks. I am bad, I feel horrible about myself, I'm the problem, I am judged at every turn. That's shame. Last week our key verse was Proverbs 29, 25, which says the fear of man or the fear of woman will prove to be a snare, won't it? The fear of man will prove to be a trap that grabs us by our ankles and turns us upside down and makes us feel like, well, we have no place in this world, like we're not safe. The fear of people will, tr- will prove to be a snare, but those who trust in the Lord are kept safe. And so last week, what well, we talked about how this fear can be manifested in the sense that I am not enough. I'm not enough in your eyes. I'm not enough in other people's eyes. Maybe I'm not even enough in my eyes. And that fear can lead us into hiding, Today's kind of an extension of last week's message. It's the fear that I'm in this courtroom of public opinion, and it looks like I will be judged at every turn. I want you to open your Bible with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4 are uh, passages that I meditate on frequently. You can find 1 Corinthians after the book of Acts and then Romans over in your New Testament. If you get to 2 Corinthians, you've gone just a little bit too far. Turn back to the left. No shame if you use a table of contents. Come on, laugh with me, y'all. Okay, this is a no shame room. 
But 1 Corinthians 3 and 4 is like a, an anchor passage for me because I, as I noted a few weeks ago, I can occasionally struggle with this imposter syndrome where I'm not really sure if I'm enough. I'm not really sure if perhaps people will find me out to be not enough uh, for a church like this. And so when I'm struggling with that, I'll go back to this passage as an anchor for me to remind me who alone is able to really judge me and whom I am living for, whom I am ultimately serving. With that, chapter three, verse 18. The Apostle Paul says this. Do do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think that you are wise, by the standards of this age, you might circle in your Bible the word standards, standards of this age. Notice the contrast he's setting up here. If any of you think that you're wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. If you're living by the standards of this age, just go ahead and become fools so that you can really become wise unto God. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. Come on, is anyone with me here today? The wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours through Jesus Christ. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Let me just pause here and let's define what's going on in this passage. In essence, well, what's happening here in the first few chapters of 1 Corinthians is the Apostle Paul is having to defend his ministry to the church that he originally planted. Okay, so there's these super Christians within the church in Corinth who have risen up and they say the Apostle Paul is not this, he's not that. And these super-Christians have risen up and they say, we are more of what we should be. And they're starting to teach false doctrine to the church in Corinth. Now, there are some in the church, though, they're still loyal to Paul. And so he's grateful for that. And there's other in the church, though, they're trying to make these factions that say, I'm with Paul and I'm not with Apollos. And Apollos is another church leader who has come through Corinth, and he's unique in that he's a Greek man who is most likely trained in Greek rhetoric, and he's likely the silver-tongued preacher who is very charismatic. And so some people are like, I want to go with Apollos. I don't really want to go with Paul. Apollos is a wonderful preacher, faithful Christian preacher as well. Now there's another one, of course, Cephas, and Cephas is Peter, and Peter was the original preacher of the resurrection after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul refers to all of these, and he's basically just saying at the end of chapter 3, we're not much. Like, it's not about Peter or Paul or Apollos. One of us might plant, one of us might water, one of us might harvest, but we're all on God's team. We really are not much. What God wants is simply our availability. God's not so much into your ability as he is into your availability. You hear that? What he wants is your availability. It's not so much that you are the silver-tongued rock star preacher. It's not about that, because whether you plant or water or harvest, what he wants is that you would give your full self to, to him. We're all ordinary, and yet we can be extraordinarily useful to God. Do not boast about mere men. That's what he's saying. 
Now he goes on from there, chapter four of verse one, to say this. This then is how you ought to regard us, whether it be Peter or Paul or Apollos, Apollos, just regard us all as this. We're just servants. That's all we are. That's it. We ain't special. We're just servants of Christ, and he's special. We're servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed. Now, it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove, what's the word? Faithful. Not successful, must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness, and he will expose the motives of the heart. He's a good judge who sees clearly. He will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. What a passage this is. Again, the Corinthian church doesn't want to have Pastor Paul over for lunch. They want to have Pastor Paul for lunch. Okay, that's what they're doing. Paul, you ain't this. You're not articulate like Apollos. You're not the original resurrection preacher like Peter. (laughs) No shame. (laughs) All good. (laughs) You're not, you're not, you're not. Right? That's what Paul is, is hearing from his church, which he started in Corinth. You're not this, you're not that. What, what does that kind of judgment usually do to you? My guess is it stops you in your tracks. And friends, this is the nature of shame. It stops movement. It stops us in our tracks. It makes us question ourselves, makes us question our place. It makes us hesitant to move forward, doesn't it? Like when somebody shames you, you're hesitant to even speak up again. It stops you in your tracks. It prevents movement. It prevents confidence from developing. So what does the Apostle Paul do as they're judging him? He calls on truth. Well, look at verses 3 and 4. He says, I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court, by any court of human opinion. I don't care at all about that. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. He says, my conscience is clear. Even though my conscience is clear, that doesn't make me innocent. I bow to the ground before God. It's the Lord God alone who judges me. Wow, what a response. He's saying, I don't care a whole lot about your opinion of me, and I don't care much about my opinion of me. He says, I have a very low opinion of your opinion of me. But that's not all. I have a very low opinion of my opinion of me too. There's only one opinion of me that matters, and I measure my life according to the standard of the revealed word of God as opposed to human opinion. Human opinion is not my God, amen? Human opinion is not your God. Now, shame's lie is this. This is the big idea you have to take from this morning's message. Shame's lie is, I am judged by everyone. That's shame's lie. Here's God's truth. 
God's truth is, I am judged by only one. Ooh, that could preach. Shame's lie is, I'm judged by everyone. God's truth is, I am judged by only one. There is one who judges us, and I am judged by him. Shame's lie is, every turn, everywhere I go, wherever I look, on social media and everywhere else, I'm judged there. But God's truth is, I'm judged by only one. Paul's thesis throughout this passage is, do not measure yourself by any person. Because once you start measuring yourself by other people, what you inevitably end up doing is propping yourself over people or putting yourself below other people. You fall into this comparison game that is full of things like pride and envy and jealousy. Like really the reason that we end up judging ourselves compared to other people is so that we can size them up and oftentimes put them down. Or size them up so that we can elevate ourselves compared to them. And Paul just says in this passage, this is not a game, my friends. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a game. This is not a game of one-upsmanship. What we're after is the gospel of Christ in which we look toward the God of heaven and we say, you alone, cut can judge me and I want to give my all for you and your kingdom. I'm not gonna measure myself by anyone else's standard. My life is for you. We're all on the same team. Peter, Apollos, Paul, we're all on the same team. We have one coach. You, me, those in the venue, those watching online, we're all on the same team, right? We got one coach. Or to press the same analogy that I've been using, we have one judge. I don't know about you, the thought of appearing before the judge of my life, the audit of eternity, the king of the universe, with my measly good deeds in hand, that makes me tremble. That makes me tremble. The thought of presenting my personality or my style or the things that I'm good at before the audit of eternity, that makes me tremble. But we don't come with our good deeds in hand, do we? We come with the good deeds of Christ that have already been done for us in hand. So what Jesus does, what God the Father does for us is this. No, you don't come with your best efforts and all of your accomplishments, but before God in heaven, you remove all of those, you come with empty hands, and God places the blood of Jesus in your hands, over your head, over your entire body. You say, wash me, Lord Jesus, and I will be clean. We come with the sacrifice of Christ, and then he says, not condemned, forgiven, beloved, sons and daughters of God. This is what he says as we come on his righteousness, not on our own good deeds. With the sacrifice in Christ, of Christ in hand, we are children of God. I love the way Romans 5, 8, and 9 puts it. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, we had nothing in our hand but our sin. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Not while we were righteous people, not while we were good people, not while we were people that could, commit, that could somehow commend ourselves to God, but while we were sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, look at the second part of that, since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from the wrath of God through him? Stick with me here for just a little bit of theology, okay? This is critical. This is like basic gospel Christianity. You gotta have this. Basic gospel message. It's this. God doesn't care much about your personality, your politics, or your presentation. He cares about your heart. 
and he cares about your holiness. He cares about the state of your heart and he cares about the state of your holiness. Does anyone else in this room lack holiness? Okay, somebody, please. Am I the only one? Okay, two hands for me to make up for those who are not raising their hands, okay? (laughs) Two hands for me and my feet as well I'd put up there. We lack holiness. So we cannot come before God with anything in our hands. And so what God does, because he loves us, is says, yes, in the midst of your sinfulness, I offer my son on the cross as a substitute for you, his perfection, and I will cancel your imperfections. I will cancel all of your debts. I will cancel all of your sins. I will cancel all of your transgressions, the guilt that I have against you. I cancel those, and I put in its stead the perfection of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And as a result of that, you now can be justified before the greatness of God. You see, our God is both the judge and he's simultaneously the justifier. He's the judge who does not look kindly on moral trespasses. And so he provides his son to overcome our moral trespasses, whatever they might be today. Therefore, Paul says a couple chapters later, there's no condemnation. Say this out loud with me. Would you read this for me? Therefore, because of everything I just said, let's read it out loud. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, wow. Like, can you imagine? Because we come on the righteousness of Christ and not our own righteousness, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is this great court of human approval where seven billion people live each day, where they seem to play judge and jury over one another's lives each and every day. In fact, do you know that you can see two billion of them on Facebook at one time? Two billion. And do you know that you can step out of their courtroom anytime you want? Or you can be on that platform but still be out of their courtroom, amen? You can still be out of their court. Like, what does this mean for us? It means that you, you don't have to curate the perfect Instagram picture. Oh, thank you, Lord. Because <laughs> it ain't going to happen. These wrinkles aren't going away. Like, like I mean, it, it means you don't have to justify yourself by having the biggest and baddest truck. Come on, somebody. It means you don't have to justify yourself by having the greatest fashion. It means you don't have to keep up with the Jones. Because guess what? The Jones are broke. You you don't have to keep up with anyone else or any human opinion. It's the Lord alone that judges us. And friends, you can hold on to these truths. We can really meditate on these truths. And as we do so, we experience freedom. No matter our temperament, no matter our background, we can experience freedom from judgment at every turn. Like if you know the king of the universe approves of you, then what can a bunch of court jesters do to you? None of this means, of course, I don't care. There are some people who say, only God can judge me, and I think what they mean by that is, I don't care. I can do what I want to do. When I was in high school, uh, there was a song that was really popular that I I really did like called, uh, Only God Can Judge Me, by Tupac Shakur. And, uh, I mean, it had a great beat. 
I give a credit, a great beat, and I like the title of the song, Only God Can Judge Me, but like the more I listened to the lyrics as I grew a little bit older and I grew in my faith, um, the less I was able to say, I, I think he means by this that I bow before the audit of eternity with all of my life, I surrender my thoughts, my words, and my deeds, my wallet, my calendar, and my speech to God in heaven, only he can judge me. I don't think that's what he meant. I, I just, as I've listened to his music, I don't think that's what he meant. And interestingly, like a lot of people say, only God can judge me, but really what they mean is, no one can judge me. And that is not what the Bible says at all. Again, look at chapter four of verses one and two. It says, this then is how you ought to regard us. Circle the word servants in your Bible. You are servants of King Jesus Christ. You regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. We're servants and servants who follow a king. Servants follow their master, don't they? We've all been given a trust, and whether it be certain time or certain talents or certain treasures, certain abilities, certain backgrounds, certain strengths and limitations that God has given you, he's given each of us different gifts and strengths and limitations, and that's our trust. That's our inheritance. That's our trust that God has given to us to steward. And what does he require of us with that trust? Hint, it's not success. Human standards are all about success. God's standards are all about faithfulness. What God wants is not your success. What God wants is your faithfulness with all that he has entrusted to you. So let me just ask a few questions here. I'm gonna ask four questions of application as we close and we consider though this message and really as we come to a close well, with our canceled series, we have one more week. Well, we'll come to that next Sunday. And uh, it's a really important message. I encourage you to come back for that as we look at the lie, my past defines me. It's a critical lie, though, that we'll look into now next Sunday. But as we start wrapping up this series, though, this Sunday and now next Sunday, I want you to begin to think about questions for application. If you struggle with judgment, you struggle with shame, you struggle with feeling canceled, any of that, as all of us do from time to time, here's a handful of questions yeah, you can begin to ask yourself. Number one, whose courts of judgment can you step out of? Who do you know that you're concerned that you'll be judged at every turn by certain people and you can begin to step out of their courts of judgment right now? That man Bart that I mentioned, the business leader who was too bookish for his dad, he had to step away from his dad for a while. It was deeply painful. A dad's voice to his kid is the most powerful voice on earth. He had to step away from his dad for a while because it was so toxic for him. He worked toward reconciliation later on. He did the hard work as a Christian, but you know what he did? For several years, the only way he was able to sustain himself from that shame-based message that he heard from his dad for years was being surrounded by three very strong Christian men who would baptize him again and again in the truth of Jesus Christ and what God said about him. And over the course of time, eventually he was able to get whole again. He still has those scars, but fortunately now, though, those scars are healed. For some of us, yeah, you need to step out of social media altogether, but because you know that when you're on social media, you go to a place of comparison and judgmentalism, and you happen to know that comparison is a thief of joy. 
Okay, so whose judgment uh, do you need to step out of? Here's a converse question. Who do you need to stop judging? Who do you need to stop judging? Paul makes it very clear in the remainder of 1 and 2 Corinthians that Christians are not to judge any other people. We are to judge behavior and ideas, but it's really a discernment of behavior and ideas, and really the only judgment that we would ever express in terms of discernment for someone else is within the body of Christ. Paul says we have nothing to say to the outside world relative to judging them. We don't expect the outside world to follow the ways of God, do we? Anybody? No, we don't. Paul says, I have no business judging those outside of the church. And so, is there anyone that we hold in contempt in our mind from time to time that we need to stop judging? And this begins with the family of God. My prayer, my hope, is that the family of God would be the most loving, most non-judgmental family in the world. That we would always know in this place, whatever background, what we have, whatever we bring into this place, in this place I am greeted with love and not judgment. Who can I stop judging? Number three, where is God requiring faithfulness of me right now? If God is 100% after our holiness, if he's 100% after our faithfulness, where do I need to leave my metric of human success and human opinions so that I would be after God's faithfulness? To God, faithfulness trumps success seven days a week. Faithfulness to God over success before people every day. And then finally, number four, as we again are wrapping up the series in these next two weeks, you want to begin to ask yourself, what Bible verses have I heard in this series that I need to begin to meditate on or perhaps even memorize? And you might go back all the way to Easter And look at any number of those series, look at the sermon notes on your phone, fall for any of those series, and think about which Bible verses I need to go back and study, I need to begin meditating on, I begin to memorize, such that I would have a change in perspective related to my shame and my experience of judgment to be more on the perspective of what God says about me. Because what we've been talking about in this series is we are who God says we are, but the only way that we get that in us is meditating more on the truth of God than we meditate on the lies of this world, right? And so it might be wise, it might behoove us in these next weeks to meditate on and begin memorizing a handful of the scriptures though that we've noted. Again, here's a good one perhaps to start with. I care very little if I am judged by you or any court of human opinion. Indeed, I cannot even judge myself. It's the Lord alone who judges me. I go back to that regularly, and I'm telling you, that empowers me to live with passion for Jesus Christ, my Lord. You know, there's a huge difference, bud, between the way everything works in our world in terms of judgment and the verdict over our lives and the way it works with God. In our workplaces, in our relationships, Indeed, in every other religion of the world, and I've spent many, many years studying the different religions of the world, in every religion of the world, and it's the same way with our relationships and our workplace, it goes like this. Perform, 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 verdict. Right? And that's the way all the other religions of the world are as well. And and there's even some of that that is valid in the workplace. I get it. 
But that's the way all of life is organized. Perform, 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 and then maybe you get a verdict. Christianity is so much different than that. Christianity is verdict. Loved by Jesus Christ. The offer of forgiveness by Jesus Christ. Not condemned by Jesus Christ. Acquitted, not guilty, son or daughter of God because of the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf, do you receive it? And then you live out of that. Performance, if you will, faithfulness, if you will, comes out of the verdict that's already been given to us because of what's already been done by Jesus Christ our Lord. Step out of the court of human opinion. We can exit left out of that as we perhaps condition ourselves once again around passages like 1 Corinthians 4, Romans 5, Romans 8, Proverbs 29, 25, and the like. Because God demonstrated his own love for us while we were yet sinners. Christ Jesus died for us. The verdict has been given. Do you receive it? And then you live from that. Well, Father, we're so thankful for something different. It is so very different than everything in this world that I am thoroughly convinced it didn't come from anywhere in this world. <laughs> Thank you, Father, that your word is truth and that we live by your grace, we live through your mercy, and your verdict will stand. We praise you, God, that we don't have to earn your approval. We don't have to ultimately earn any person's approval. What we need to do is live before the audit of eternity to receive his grace, to receive his forgiveness, and then live in freedom out of that. Father, would you please soften any hard soil in hearts in this room? I pray that you'd soften any hard soil in the hearts of our church family watching online or over in the venue. And you would just remind us yet again that what you require of us is faithfulness. That you would remind us yet again that you are the only one that's worthy to judge us. That you would remind us yet again that we can exit out of the courts of human opinion and we don't have to constantly live for people's approval. We can live for the one who alone is God. And your truth reigns. There's now no condemnation for those who are fully in Christ Jesus. My friends, are you fully in Christ Jesus? Have you bowed with all of your life, with your calendar and your credit card and everything else, have you bowed to Jesus Christ? Give yourself fully to him even now. And then live faithfully before him tomorrow. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for having us as we are. In your mighty name we pray, amen.